0: Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Well-Versed podcast. I've been, I've been wanting to interview this guy for the longest time, Scott Turner. He and I were together at one point in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He pastored there. He played for the NFL. I'm going to have him tell the story in a moment. Then he joined the Trump administration, and what I think was one of the greatest things ever accomplished. In the trump administration and was the least reported on you would be so encouraged what you're about to hear and then i'm gonna have him talk about what he's doing now on a national scale in addition to pastoring on a national uh, scale scott turner welcome to this broadcast i'm really happy to have you on my brother and i want you to just take the first two minutes and tell your story who you are where you're from your nfl experience your pastoral experience etc
1: Yes, sir. Well, it's so good to be with you, Pastor Garlo, and love seeing your face and hearing your voice and just the the legacy of faith that you have uh, blessed all of us with for so many years. And uh, to everybody on the the World Prayer Network, man, what a great privilege to be here. Uh, My name is Scott Turner. I grew up here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I'm fourth generation Texan, so I'm 100% Texas. Uh, I've lived in other places around the country, but I do love being back here in Texas. Uh, My wife, Robin, and I have been married for 27 years. We met at the University of Illinois. Uh, I went to Illinois on a football and track scholarship where I played football in the fall and ran indoor and outdoor track. And uh, met my wife there when I was 19. And uh, we've been together ever since. And I left the University of Illinois and was drafted by the Washington Redskins and played nine years in the NFL for the Redskins, the Chargers, and the Broncos. And it was while I was at the Chargers that you, uh, Pastor Garla, and I uh, made the connection from one of our dear friends there, uh, Congressman Duncan Hunter Sr. And uh, so grateful for that. After I retired from the NFL, we came back home to Dallas in 2007. Uh, But while I played, I started uh, a consultant speaking company Uh, which is the Scott Turner Consultant Group, because Daryl Green, who is a Hall of Famer uh, cornerback from the Redskins, hey, man, I'm going to give you two pieces of advice while you're in the NFL. This is my second day in the NFL. He said the NFL stands for not for long, and so you have to have something else that you're interested in, and so start doing that. Hence, I started the speaking company. And the second thing he said, create relationships outside of the locker room. And those two pieces of advice have been life transforming for me wow. and godly relationships outside of football. And so with that, we came home. I ran for the House of Representatives here in Texas, District 33, which is a newly formed district uh, of Northern uh, Collin County and all of Rockwall County. And I served two terms in the Texas House of Representatives uh, and then retired from there in 2017 when my son was in high school And in 2019, I I was appointed by President Trump uh, to lead what we call the White House Opportunity and Revitalization Council, and that is leading the Opportunity Zone initiatives where I worked directly uh, under the tutelage of Dr. Ben Carson. And that was uh, a transformational time for me personally, but also I believe uh, God did great work in that for our country, and since returning from the White House, I continued to lead uh, our consulting company where we partner with people to revitalize distressed communities and also to lead our nonprofit foundation called the community engagement and opportunity council where we build early childhood learning labs and so that's a high level overview of just the graciousness of god in my life
0: well what you've accomplished is staggering that is just that's really a stunning most people wouldn't do that in five lifetimes, and you have done it, and you're still a young man. Well, everybody's young compared to me, sir. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to go r- right, if I can, immediately to the opportunity zones okay. during the Trump administration. uh I had the privilege of serving on on Trump's faith advisory board. Uh, well, during his 26th campaign, it was called faith advisory board. Then once we were in the White House, Scott helped me. It was called the well. I guess it was called the White House faith, faith council. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. and. Uh, and then we served on another council when he ran for 2020. Uh, so I was with, I had the privilege of being with Scott there a few times, but one of the most encouraging things ever were the opportunity zones across America. Yes, sir. I'm gonna ask Scott in a moment how many there were, but then to describe them, because Scott, I'll put it this way. When it comes to speaking about concern for the poor, the Democrats seem to articulate it better, but they seem to have a plan that enslaves the people. The republicans don't speak about it nearly as well but they have a socio-economic plan that actually gives sociological lift to the people who are disenfranchised mm-hmm. one talks the other one produces but i wish the one that produced uh was able to articulate it better because i think what you did at the white house is one of the most remarkable stories for our urban centers of of anything that was happening i was so encouraged how many Opportunity Zones were there, and describe
1: what is an Opportunity Zone. Yes, sir. So in 2017, uh, President Trump signed into law the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was the big tax overhaul uh, at the beginning of his administration. As part of that tax overhaul, Senator Tim Scott led the charge uh, of creating the Investment Opportunity Act, which created Opportunity Zones. Opportunity zones are those census tracts, neighborhoods, both urban, tribal, and also rural, uh, where you have a high poverty rate, a high crime rate, a low median income rate, and every governor, tribal leader, and territory leader was given a task to nominate 25% of eligible census tracts, and then later on, the Department of the Treasury uh, certified 8,764 opportunity zone uh sites which were certified for 10 years and so with these Opportunity Zones all 8,764 40 percent of which are rural uh, it was my job to lead the White House Opportunity and Revitalization Council to go inside of these Opportunity Zones and meet with various stakeholder groups and develop strategies for long-term sustainability now, now, okay, so we have these, I didn't realize 40% of them are rural areas. That's incur- I, I come from a
0: rural area, okay. and I certainly know that some rural areas are are, are really uh, mm-hmm. in a way that they weren't when I was a young man. But uh, So let's go back, 8,764 yes. opportunity zones. How large are these ordinarily? Is this uh, involve a number of square blocks or a number of square miles uh, within the scope of a city or a rural area? And then when you go in there and develop a strategy, uh, what is the, obviously they need resources and and they need manpower, leadership. Right. So talk to us about those two areas. I've actually asked a series of questions there all together.
1: Well, that's perfect. So out of the 8,764, we have rural, tribal, and urban. Because oftentimes in our country, we think of poverty being just in the urban areas. But as you said, we have extreme poverty in our rural areas of America and also the tribal areas. And all opportunities tribal, are-
0: by tribal, you're referring to those areas that are labeled as as reservations for Native Americans. Yes. Uh, and, and are, are they outside? are they outside the sovereignty of the United States? They are. but and, and, but we can you can still go in and do what you were doing there. with their permission is that it right
1: yeah you have to have their permission and and i went to several of them in our country uh and so when you look at these opportunity zones they have some common some commonality in as far as need and lack of resource but every opportunity zone looks different you know tamaqua pennsylvania looks different from trenton new jersey the rust belt of our country looks different from Uh, Liberty City, Miami, you know, so the population is different, the square miles are different, but the needs and the lack of resource across opportunity zones are pretty much uh, very common and the same. And so my job was to lead 15 domestic agencies uh, in our government. So you're talking about the secretaries of the United States and the agencies that they lead, HUD, labor, commerce, SBA, education, you know, and, and uh, so on and so forth, interior. It was my job to lead the teams from those said agencies into these cities across America and build partnerships uh, for long-term sustainability strategies. And so as an example, Pastor Garlo, I would lead a contingency of White House officials uh, from these said agencies into these different cities and opportunity zones. And we would have roundtable discussions with five stakeholder groups, elected officials, entrepreneurs, investors, community leaders, education leaders, and faith leaders. Why do I tell you that? Per the executive order from the president, it was my charge to go in and bring all these stakeholder groups together at the table so that we can have conversations uh, and the hard conversations of what is the pain in this community? Why is there blight? Why is there decay? Why is it dilapidated? Why is the population leaving? And then to, at that same table, come up with strategies for long-term sustainability, building new operating businesses, building new real estate, housing, and homes for those that live in the city, to build innovation centers, to create a spirit of entrepreneurship. And when you think about opportunity zones it was our job to go in and revitalize or bring new life to these areas and have the people in those communities are part of the revitalization taking place not push them out but to bring them in and lift them up by way of new opportunity and so it's my job to be the spokesperson and the ambassador for this initiative if you will and then to bring these stakeholders together to come up with these plans And as a result, Pastor Garlo, I went to 80 cities, eight zero cities around our country in 11 months uh, with this message of revitalization. My goodness, this this is quite amazing. This is a lot more than I I actually realized
0: in in all of this. Um, When you said Trenton, New Jersey, even though I'm, I'm a farm kid originally, I lived in New Jersey quite some time. I did two of my degrees at two institutions there. But I ended up pastoring inner city in Trenton, New Jersey. So it really tugged on my heart when you said that because I fell in love with that, mm-hmm. with, with that, with that area. Are these is the are the plans that were structured funded exclusively
1: or primarily by private dollars, or was it public funding? So that's a great question. When opportunity zones were created, the incentive that was put forth was called a capital gains incentive. Normally, when an individual realizes a capital gain, so let's say you and I have a company and we sell our company or we sell a stock or what have you, and we realize a capital gain, let's say we have a capital gain of $10,000 from the sale of our asset. Normally, we have to send that $10,000 capital gain and pay taxes to the treasury but the incentive in the Opportunity Zone uh, legislation said you can take that $10,000, that capital gain that you now have, you can invest that in a Qualified Opportunity Zone fund, a QAF, and that fund now becomes a vehicle where you can invest in a Qualified Opportunity Zone business or project. If you invest that money by way of that fund into that Qualified Opportunity Zone project, and hold it there for 10 years, whatever money you made over and above that original investment, so our original $10,000 that we invested, if that $10,000 now becomes 100,000 in 10 years, we pay zero capital gains on the $90,000 that we made as a profit. And the original investment now has depreciated in the amount of tax because it's been there for 10 years. And people say, why 10 years? because when you leave that investment there and let it grow in that community for 10 years, it takes root. The people then get involved. You can see a project go from from ground up and build and not just make a profit, but have impact in the community. It's a different paradigm of investing. It's a different kind of investing. It's different investors because historically, when you revitalize an area or you develop an area, it's the elected official, it's the developer, and it's the money person. The community people historically have not been involved. The education and the faith leaders have not been involved. But now, by way of this executive order for the president, you have all five stakeholder groups involved. And now you have a long term investment which takes root in the community and it gives the investor an incentive that he pays zero capital gains on the profit and as a result of this concept and his strategy to answer your question 75 billion with a b dollars of private money were invested into opportunities on projects around our country in just two years in two years yes sir uh i'm
0: almost afraid to ask this one I hope it continued in the the current administration,
1: or please don't tell me they stopped it. Well, there's good and bad news. The good news is is that it's in the law. And so opportunity zones are still operating. Opportunity zones have been certified for 10 years. You can still invest in the opportunity zones all the way up until uh, December 31st at 12 o'clock midnight of 2026. There's legislation to expand the Opportunity Zones for two more years because it took us two years to get the rules and regulations straight. And so there is legislation in Congress uh, to expand Opportunity Zones for 10 more years. But as it stands right now, an individual can make an investment inside of an Opportunity Zone qualified project or business until December 31st of 2026 and still get the 10-year hold. That's the good news. The bad news is, is that the uh, Biden administration did not extend or restart the council that I led, which I encouraged them to do that on my way out, because the council that I led was a coordinating council that literally took 15 agencies, and the dedicated people inside of those agencies, we had ground game, we had teams on the ground in every city to help coordinate teams there to invest inside of these opportunity zones so that's the bad news that they didn't um, extend the council matter of fact they ripped up the executive order uh, which for whatever reason you know i know this is not time for that call but one thing i am grateful for is that i can continue to do this in the private sector and i am and there's others that are still heavily involved in bringing revitalization because dr garlow as part of the council that I had the privilege of leading, we have the Council of Economic Advisors, CEA as part of this council. They were the data machine, the analytics, the accountability part of the council. And not only was it $75 billion of private money that was invested, but per our data, there were 1 million people that were lifted out of poverty as a result of Opportunity Zones in just two years
0: man that, that was where I was going to go with my questioning a million in a two-year span yes, uh, that's that uh, we only have 330 million in the in the whole country so one out of every 330 persons was impacted profoundly yes sir. just a a less than two-year yes, right s- a span that that is quite astounding now show me what that would look like let's suppose uh describe what it would look like for example in an urban part of um, los angeles i'll just pick los angeles because it's known for its blight or, or or you can pick some other city if you want to describe what that might look like Did that, that mean new new businesses were coming in uh-huh. and hiring uh did, what what would that if i was driving down the streets of that city what would i notice that wow something's different here or if i was in a rural area let's just pick uh I don't know western part of oklahoma mm-hmm. uh where uh, a county where the average income is well below the poverty line right. what would i notice going on in that county so give me
1: scenarios describe that good so let's take uh northeast cleveland ohio in the tremont okay. area this is one of the first opportunity sites that i visited there was an old garage gas station type place on about a two acre site two acre land plot in Cleveland and two developers came in and partnered with the bank and entrepreneurs and investors there they purchased this opportunity zone site they demolished the old dilapidated garage gas station that was there and they took this and developed a couple of things it's a mixed-use development So currently, or at that point, you drive down the street, you just see an old beat-up garage with old beat-up cars, and it's been there for years. They took this, they scraped the land, they graded the land, and they built retail and new businesses, of which the anchor is a brand-new bakery. A first-time business owner built a brand-new bakery as a cornerstone of this development and other retail around it. And then on the other half of that plot, they built 97 units of workforce housing. So housing for people that made, let's say, 60 to 80% of area median income. So firemen, teachers, retail workers, people who couldn't really afford to buy a house in the area, But now, because of the Opportunity Zone legislation, they have nice Class A construction, workforce housing, and brand new businesses on this same plot. And so somebody who would have been driving by there for years, a couple years ago, and now they drive by, and that whole corner is a brand new bakery, retail, new business, and workforce housing. That's one aspect. Another aspect, let's say in rural America, like you said, in Oklahoma, a farmer that has a farm that's in a rural area can now use the opportunities Zone legislation, start a business on that farm, hire new people from the town. Let's say he wants to have a service part of his business where he services heavy equipment. Or let's say he wants to start a business where he's a distributor, distributor for wheat, grain, corn because that's an opportunity zone, you can start an opportunity zone business on that farm as a brand new business because it's a qualified opportunity zone business. So uh, does they get,
0: uh the, for him starting that, does he get like a a, a low interest or no interest
1: loan? Or how does well, that... what is, is because you have to start it by way of the opportunity zone capital gains investment. He can get investment from an opportunity zone fund where he would have never got investment until this incentive came about. And so if I have a Qualified opportunities Zone fund, you and I have a fund together, and we learn of this farmer that has an Opportunity Zone uh, land, let's say he has 200 acres, and we say, man, we wanna help start an operating business on your farm OK, and we're going to invest in that by way of our capital gains through this qualified opportunity fund that now has bolstered that farmer and having a brand new operating business on his farm that not only do we as investors benefit from, but he as the owner of that farm benefit from. He can hire new people. He can buy new equipment. He can have new income. And so those are just some of the examples of what opportunities on investments do that is that is incredible so it's not like he takes out a loan
0: he's got people investing in his in yeah. his business yeah that it, it's uh it's considerably more complex than I realized I'm talking about the actual tax tax law itself the capital gains incentive right. uh but that it, it's profound um I, I got kind of two questions that are uh, a bit challenging I don't know to what extent you can answer them okay how much of uh, the deterioration in our communities whether urban or even in in the rural areas now uh, and uh, maybe the tribal lands is well. i'm not quite as familiar with, with that area but it is are we dealing with is really the lack of a father in the home
1: oh 100
0: okay we well, answer and then my second one to what extent was the opportunity have the opportunity zones mm-hmm. been harmed not my not merely by the current administration promoting it strongly but by the condition of a nation our nation that saw in the summer of 2020 riots and cities burned down mm-hmm. to what extent were these opportunity zones mm-hmm. profoundly impacted by that so part one is the issue of fatherlessness yes, part two of yes. my question is the traumatic change in america mm-hmm. that occurred from 2020 to the present in terms of lawlessness, antinomianism, uh, defending the police, burning, looting,
1: etc. Yes, sir. So fatherlessness, as you know, Dr. Garlow is, and has been a generational, not just problem, but a curse, if you will, uh, on the inner city. And I've, it goes back to policy. When the welfare, programs came out that incentivize women to have children, but yet not have a married father in the home. And for my lifetime has been one of the most destructive things for the family in urban and rural America. Well, we have perverse incentives that incentivize people not to get married, but yet to have children and receive a check from the government. That has been one of the most um just decapitating dangerous harmful policies and created helped create and exasperate the creation of fatherlessness in our country when a father is not present in a home in particularly in the urban neighborhoods Somebody is going to step in. Somebody or something is going to step in and be the influence in the life of those children. Be it gangs, be it prostitution, be it drugs, be it uh, groups of people making bad decisions. Something or someone is going to make an impact in the life of young people when the father is not absent, when the father is not there. And so to answer your question and this is the thing that we could do a whole section on is fatherlessness but yes that has played a major role in poverty and and hopelessness and just the fracturing and the breakdown of the family in our communities around america and a big part of that is policies that are devastating to the family now as far as opportunity zones being impacted uh, in 2020, with all the riots, with the burning down of cities, with the policies that have been implemented in some of our Democratic-ran cities. A lot of work that we did, a lot of cities that I personally went to have been impacted by these factors. And it's devastating to see that, it's discouraging to see it, but yet I'm still hopeful because we still have people in our country that want to revitalize communities that are now having to rebuild communities. But I will say policies matter. Policies matter because people matter. When the policies are bad, the people suffer. And it goes beyond just political rhetoric, it goes beyond political uh seats it goes beyond politics policies matter because they impact people and in a lot of areas that I've been to that we call opportunity zones policies are so important when you have for instance when you have a mayor in a city and I've been to 80 cities when you have a mayor in a city that says I see the blight I see the decay I see the poverty and the crime in my city what can you do no matter what administration you're coming from what can you bring to help us in this city to partner with us to help overcome this poverty when you have mayors like that who lead these cities the results that i saw were astounding when we worked together for the good of those people. But when you have mayors because of politics, because of of political rhetoric, because of red and blue, who said, I don't care what you're bringing. I don't agree with who you are, where you come from. I see the poverty, I see the blight, I see the fatherlessness, I see the decay, but I'm not willing to work with you. Those areas are still devastated. Scott
0: Turner, I I sat here in awe of you. I've always respected and admired you. Thank but you, um, your your grasp of these issues just is amazing. You so encourage me. I'm just so proud to call you a brother. I was with you a few days ago, I guess it yeah. was, back in D.C., mm-hmm. and we'll be together uh, yeah. in a couple days. I look forward to it. In, in Texas, I just love you and honor you. I, I think what you said is that last part is so deeply touching. I think it's best we go to prayer. Okay. Alan, I don't know if you can come on screen. Alan, you're always behind the scenes running tech for us. But if you could come on the screen, I'm going to have Scott lead in prayer over healing of our cities and then over the fatherlessness. And then, Alan, if you would pray next. Uh, And then we'll go to more prayer after that. Is that okay, Alan? Absolutely. Uh, Scott, lead
1: lead us in prayer for those two major issues. Yes, sir. Father, we do thank you uh, for this opportunity to gather together as people of God. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us on the cross and giving your life and shedding your precious blood. And Father, we are deeply moved, Father, by the call that you have on us in our life to pray for our country. Lord God, I pray for every leader at every level, Father, state, local, national. Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would lead them Father, I pray that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would guide them, and Father, I pray for the Word of God to be the final authority in their life. Father, I pray for our leaders as they make decisions for this country, that they would make decisions not based upon political uh, gain, not based upon personal uh, ambition, but Father, they would make decisions for this country based upon the goodwill of the people to whom they've been called to serve. Father, I pray for us as a nation, that we would fall to our knees and repent, that we would turn away from our wicked ways, that we would humble ourselves, and Father, that we would beg, Father God, for your healing, for your forgiveness, Lord, on this nation, God. Lord, I pray for the the godly men and women, Father, the godly leaders, Father, such as as Pastor Garlow, Father, and and other pastors and lay ministers and and leaders of this country, Father, They call ourselves Christian warriors, That, Father, that we would no longer be silent, but that we would stand up for righteousness. Father God, that we would speak the truth and love, that we would stand firm on our conviction. And, Father God, that you would use us as vessels to bring healing and restoration to this country, Father, starting in just the city streets, the rural streets, Father God, on the farmlands of America to the big cities of this country. God, you would use us as voice pieces and ambassadors, Father. And Lord, we pray for these issues of fatherlessness. Father, we pray that this is a time of a clarion call, a call to action of men to step forward and to step up and to take care of their families, not just to be men who make children, but men who take care of their children, their wives, and their families. God, help us to be warriors for your kingdom. Help us, God, to be examples of what a righteous, godly man is supposed to be. Father, we too can eradicate fatherlessness. Father, we don't need the government. We don't need bureaucracy. Father, we need the word of God, and the spirit of God, and the power of God, and obedience for men in this country to step up, act like men, be firm in the faith, and take care of their families. God, we pray, and we agree together, Father, for a move of righteous men to step up, and Lord God, we counted the privilege to be examples of that for our country today. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for Alan. I thank you for Pastor Garlo. I thank you, God, for this opportunity to stand with these men As we touch and agree, and all of those who are praying with us to touch and agree that God, you will move and heal this land, Father God, according to the righteousness of your people. And Father, that we will step up as godly men and be fathers that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Alan.
2: Father, we just thank you again, Lord, for this unity among those on this call tonight. And we come forward today, Father, speaking the authority of your word into existence. Father, you were a lover of families. Your word is scattered throughout with your love of families. And, Father, we just speak towards fathers today, Father, that there's a spirit of of of, of, of love, of responsibility that goes out to these individuals today. And we just speak it upon the word of your authority. We've come boldly, Father, uh, on this particular... Uh, subject tonight. Father, we thank you. Father, we again repent, we renounce of where we faltered in these areas. And we just speak, Father, for a grave wake up among the populace today, Lord, that families will be healed, families will be restored,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: all in perfection with what you have ordained father and we just thank you for the angels that are now on assignment father bringing healing bringing restoration and we just thank you for what you're doing Mm -hmm. and what you're going to do father Mm -hmm. we know that we are lost without this families are lost without this perfection that you have outlined in your word And we just speak that Mm. in authority tonight, Father, that families across this nation will be healed, will be restored. And ultimately, Father, they, they will know you and they will know where this authority comes from, Father. And we just thank you for all your grace, for all your mercy. For your kindness and love, Father, and we give you all the praise, honor, and glory in your precious name. Thank you. Uh,
0: thank you so much, man. You've started us off well. Let's just, let's continue now in the spirit of prayer. Well, we want to continue in prayer. Um, Jim has
2: asked Kevin McGarry to uh, join us today, and he graciously um has and we'll ask kevin to um, unmute i see you have kevin Uh, kevin spoke to world prayer network just a few sessions ago but uh, he knows about followers and speaks on it and ministers regarding this so i'm going to first go to kevin if you'll uh, feel free to make some comments if you'd like to and then if you'll lead us in prayer
3: Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, This is, uh, uh, it's great to be amongst the uh, well-versed family again and to uh, be on your World Prayer Network. It's just uh, wonderful. So I'm always honored to be here and thank you for having me. Uh, This is a season where we're going to very shortly celebrate fathers. It's only on one day, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, really fathers should be celebrated, honored, and encouraged throughout the year and every single day. Uh, some people would say, well, yeah, okay, well, why? Uh, well, there's some good reasons why. Uh, God himself declared that fathers are fundamental to the building and the, the growing of the family unit. If you look at, uh, you know, verses like, uh, let me see, I was just looking at them. Um, if you look at uh, Deuteronomy, or excuse me, yeah, Deuteronomy 10, 18, uh, where he talks about he defends the cause of the fatherlessness of the fatherless and the widows. If you look at Psalms uh, 60 or Psalms 82, three, uh, you know, he he talks about, you know, how we defend the cause again of the weak and fatherless. Uh, if you look at Isaiah one, uh, you know, he talks about seeking justice and defend the cause of the fatherless. Uh, here's the thing. Um. The reason, what is fundamentally what God is saying? He's saying, look, as men, you know, go out or they are not around, they're not present, it's very important that if we want to keep that, that unit, that, that pillar, that uh, cornerstone, of, that semblance of family, that someone, you know, an uncle, a grandfather, something, needs to fill the role of a father. Because if they don't, we have what we have now. What we have now is in America, approximately 25% of all households have no father. Now, um, of that, 70% in the Black community have no father. Uh, and that that has very serious repercussions. Um, there are some very you see God's wisdom in all of this when you start looking at statistics that you know really confirm why fathers are essential for helping to build community within the household. Uh, bottom line is, you have much more like uh, let's say seven times more likely uh, teens or will become pre- uh, pregnant without a father. Uh, there is eight times, uh, excuse me, four and a half times greater risk of poverty in those families without a father. Um, there's a lot of stats that I have that goes along with this, but here's the thing, what I want us all to kind of just think about. Uh, the bottom line is, is if we actually had a father in the home, would we see the, the, uh, the intense significance now of the trans movement? Likely not. Uh, the actual statistics tell us that the overwhelming majority of those who would identify as being gender dysphoric and and, in the trans movement, the overwhelming majority do not have a father in the home. Um, If we had a father in the home, would we have seen so much of the chaos and the rage in, uh, you know, three years ago with the George Floyd riots and all of that? Likely not. If a father is in the home, the father can talk, you know, the children off the edge and sort of keep a semblance of of civility within the household. So the bottom line is, is fathers are absolutely vital and important, not just in, uh, you know, what we think, you know, okay, we got to build a healthy family, but in God's mind, because he understood that when you think about history, ancient history into today, no wars have been declared or won without fathers. Think about it. On the front line of every kind of war, There's a father there. There's somebody's father, somebody's husband, somebody's, you know, but there's fathers that are in that war and fighting. There's men that are waging the war. We don't typically go to war with women. Now, think about the times that we're in right now. We have a intense spiritual war going on right now. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. We have an intense cultural war that's happening right now. And if we don't have fathers that are in that war and on the front lines, we're going to see what we're seeing now, which is globally, um, you know, we see the rampaging demonism and the cultural uh, you know, traversing on the downward spiral because of, you know, these other, you know, gender dysphoria, sex, all these other things that are really coming after our children. And that's a whole nother conversation that I go into on Genesis 315. I connect all the dots with this, but. We don't have time for that, but the point is, is that fathers are very, very significant. They need to be honored. They need to be a to 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 be reconnected with their family unit to take their proper role. Now I understand that we have a hookup, you know, kind of culture now, uh, but what I encourage fathers to do all the time is look. If you can adjust, reconnect with your children. You may not be able to live with them. You may, you know, whatever. I understand it, but just reconnect with them will make an incredible difference uh social anthropologists have already told us a father is connected with his children the difference is exponential as far as them going off so um so we want to pray we want to pray that fathers get reconnected with their families that fathers are once again on the forefront on the front line, fighting for their family fighting the spiritual wars fighting the cultural wars pushing back combating the The rampant demonism that's really having such a profound effect globally. The reason why it's having a profound effect is there's very little men, fathers who are on the front line ready to take the arrows and spears and combat evil where it exists. And so we're going to pray that uh, for all men and all fathers, uh, especially fathers, to take their rightful role um, and that they will be a part of it. One last thing I want to say about this is... So when when we don't have a perspective of fathers and we go to people and encourage them to accept God as father and they have no perspective on that it makes it uh, that that transition to trusting god to believing in god to honoring god it's much much more difficult because they have no concept of what a father is because they were raised without a father so it's important that we as people of faith encourage fatherhood as much as possible We encourage men to to remain connected to their families because it sets an indelible mark for that family and for those communities. And so we're going to pray that uh, in as we go into this, this, you know, into Father's Day coming up on next Sunday. So uh, let's, let's bow together. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Father, that you have been so good to us. We thank you've already established who you are as our Father, as our friend. We thank you, Father, that you have provided for us the perfect example and a savior. And we honor you, O God, because you are awesome and mighty and all-powerful. We know that even as our culture traverses on a downward spiral globally, we know that as, uh, as the spiritual wars uh, intensify, that you are calling men, fathers, to be on that front line, to hold the line for their families, to decapitate the enemy where he tries to assault their children and their livelihoods and and, and their their future. Father God, we just pray right now that you will begin to again raise that remnant force, raise fathers uh, around the world to assume their rightful place as a part of their home. We know there's a lot of instances and circumstances where fathers, they've messed up the relationship. They can't be trusted by, you know, either their ex-wife or, or their, their progeny. But, oh, God, we ask that you would just help them to reconnect. We ask that there would be a spirit of forgiveness. So forgiveness can come forth and healing can take place within these communities. Father God, we know that in your divine and perfect plan that fathers have an essential role. Not only in that that one household, but throughout the community and throughout the world. So we're declaring, Lord God, your sovereign grace would already cover fathers across the world and that you would motivate and inspire them, Lord God, to take their rightful position and their rightful role in the household and as a part of that family. Father God, we need you right now. We know we're in tenuous times, but we know that you have a remnant for us and we know that you always have a plan. So, Father, we ask that you would give us a desire, give us the, uh, you know, the the inspiration to encourage fathers to come forth and to to be the men that you've created them to be. We honor fathers, oh God, as we go into this Father's Day, a special day of recognition And we ask that you would inspire each and every one of us, that we will honor them in ways that will be an encouragement so that you will be glorified even in this time. So Father, we thank you and we praise you for all the things that you have done and all the things that you're doing and will do. And we give you all the praise and glory and honor. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.